Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In recent years, American big business, big labor, and other bigs have gotten aggressively more aligned with progressive liberalism. Even those bigs, like big philanthropy, that are technically required by law not to intervene in elections. While big philanthropy might always have been liberal-leaning ideologically, it has gotten so openly democratic that, as conservative philanthropic scholar Bill Chambra noted, quote, it's no longer suspect or even noteworthy to treat nonprofits and foundations as anything other than useful tools to, quote, build a democratic party that can translate progressive values into public policy as a true governing majority, close quote. Joining me to discuss how we got here and the consequences of philanthropy losing its nominal political neutrality is Mike Hartman, head of Capital Research Center's Center for Strategic Giving and editor of the Giving Review blog at Philanthropy Daily. Uh, Mike, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the work of Giving Review in the Center for Strategic Giving? I sure can. I'll take any opportunity to sell myself, of course. Yes. Uh, good to be back on the show, Mike, which I very much enjoy and recommend people listen to all the time. Uh, and then to answer your question, after law school, I worked at the uh, Wisconsin Policy Research Institute, one of these state-level think tanks. It's now called the Badger Institute. Uh, I did not even really know foundations existed at the time, but it occurred to me after a couple of months, if not years, that somebody was paying the light bill. <laughs> uh, turns out it was foundations. Their biggest supporter uh, was uh, the Bradley Foundation, uh, which uh, was in on support of it from the beginning, uh, which had been about probably uh, more than a decade prior. Uh, then in 98, I went from, as we called it, Whippery, uh, right, right to the Bradley Foundation working uh, there for almost 20 years, uh, mostly for Dan Schmidt, the vice president for program, mm -hmm. who's the guy who called me, called me uh, on the phone one day there at Whippery and said, what are you doing? Uh, and I worked a little bit there for Bill Shamba, whom you just referenced. And the three of us now co-edit the, uh, the Giving Review, which is, which is part of the Philanthropy Daily site, uh, where we try to bring our, I'll say, decades worth of collective philanthropic expertise to bear on uh, public discourse surrounding philanthropy. We created it because we thought there might have been a little bit of an imbalance there. Understandably so. Uh, so on to that piece that we uh, that you all published over at Giving Review that, uh, that Bill Shamber wrote that I referenced in the introduction. Uh, what prompted it and what was the basic synopsis of it? So, I mean, uh, what spurred Bill's thinking to put that piece together was that the announcement of a new online publication called uh, Blue Tent, which is edited by David Callahan, who, who also edits Inside Philanthropy. Yeah, he's, he's a liberal philanthropic observer journalist person. Yeah, he's talented and energetic. He has, uh, he, he agreed to do nicely a, uh, one of these conversations with the Giving Review, which is worth perusing. You could maybe throw that in in the we, show we, notes. We can uh, throw that in the show notes. He's, he's good at what he does, uh, and those are both good online publications, both Blue Tent and uh, uh, Inside Philanthropy. Uh, but, but Blue Tent, they just started late last year, and uh, Bill Shamber was taking a look at some of its initial work product, including its announcement, uh, and, and decided to put together the piece we, we published last, uh, last month. Uh, so, so it quite comprehensively covers uh, progressive groups, uh, explicitly saying that that's what they're... Uh, I'll say limiting themselves to, but the, the point, I guess, is it's not too terribly limited. Uh, they, they cover donors and, and recipients. Uh, and Bill's first main point is, well, gee, there's a lot of progressive groups. Uh, 
and as you've studied, including yeah, with as, me, you did all the work. Right. Yeah. But, as, uh, as we as we discovered when we when we looked into this, the yeah. and then and then we re we recently updated it. Uh, the 501c3 public policy world, uh, you know, the, on the left, when when we first did it, it was about three to one. When uh, our colleague Shane Shane Devine uh, updated that that work, uh, he got close to four to one uh, on the left versus the right, and that's not even including the universities, which would of course throw it even more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the piece, Bill, maybe only half jokingly, compares you know the big blue tent to the uh, red umbrella in a tiki bar cocktail. It is a, th there is a difference in, in size and that should just be noted by us and uh, everybody who. Uh, yeah, any, anybody who pays to. attention to this sort of thing. Exactly. In fact, blue tent contained an initial compendium, I think of uh, some 200 uh, foundations and grant makers, foundations and grant makers, givers uh, mm -hmm. of, of money. I'm certain most of them are also profiled in influence watch, uh, you can tell me. If not, I'm sure they soon will be. <laughs> I, if, uh, if, they, if they are not now, they will be soon. <laughs> and the other aspect of uh, Blue Tent, which they were uh, touting at the beginning, in their description of themselves, they said they were, we, Blue Tent, are going to crack, uh, quote, multiple, multiple funder types, uh, which, again, to people who pay attention to these matters means, hate to go legal here, uh, but C3, C4, 5%. Right. And, all, and on all those, all those you know, numbers and letters refer to various parts of the Internal Revenue Code because different levels of tax exemption give you different, in theory, give you different levels of ability to intervene in elections and conduct lobbying. Exactly. The state's sort of bargaining with you. Some people don't like that terminology, but that's what's going on. Yeah, you, you, ex you, accept, you accept certain benefits from the state in exchange for certain restrictions. You know, at, at Capital Research Center, we cannot intervene in elections because we are a 501c3 public charity. What that means is that our donors, to the extent permissible by law, can write their donations off on their taxes. That's the benefit to, to us and to our donors. But the cost is that we can't intervene in elections. So this gives rise to Bill's second point, uh, main point of that piece. Uh, he, uh, and then later uh, with me joining him there, um, uh, along with many others, worked at uh, the Bradley Foundation, which is a 501c3 private foundation. Uh, and he said, look, we would have been, uh, uh, I'm just going to quote him. Uh, you know, when we were working there, this uh, quote, nonchalant and indiscriminate lumping of foundations like ours and nonprofits into a list of manifestly partisan political institutions would have set off all sorts of ethical and legal alarms. Uh, that's the end of the quote. Mm -hmm. And that is true. It would have. It did when we were there. We were quite cognizant of these differences in uh, IRS categories and what so, they meant. So for, so for instance, activities. if a if a grantee of a 501c3 public charity grantee of the Bradley Foundation that uh, say hypothetically put on its website that it unseated governor such and such, uh, that, that would raise alarm bells with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Is the answer to that. That would have horrified our attorneys. Uh, that and is Bill sort of hints at that. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that is, and, and I, I bring that up because of course, um, a, a liberal organization in Philadelphia movement Alliance project 501c3 public charity literally said that on their website. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would have raised alarms. It's an improper usage of the 
the status of the entity. Uh, Bill cites in that piece, uh, again, uh, a friend of his, Rick Cohen, who's quite liberal. Yeah. Uh, he, he, heads, not, he, heads the, he heads or was the head of National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy, which is the association of the committed ideologically liberal like the not just the normally liberal, but the even more liberal foundations. And uh, Rick is gone, uh, unfortunately, uh, now. Uh, but he, uh, at the time, and uh, with Bill, saw some presentation about how groups with uh, the various different legal statuses in the eyes of the IRS could all be used to achieve partisan purposes. Mm -hmm. And they both reacted strongly against that, I think, privately to each other afterwards. Uh, uh, about the you know the perception the assumption I guess really that nonprofit charitable groups C3s in the legal lingo uh, quote were useful only insofar as they could be wrestled into strategic alignment with the more important political players downstream this was not right. something that either of them were for and I do believe that that is a non-partisan uh, point yeah that that's uh, not I mean that's not necessarily an ideological yeah that's a cross ideological point and that brings us uh, to a piece that you wrote uh, I guess early this week. Um, so last time there was a decisively decided, but, you know, on the fringe disputed presidential election with some wild conspiracy theories about voting machines, Senator agreeing to hear challenges to the electoral college tallies. Of course, that was 2004. The winner was Republican George W. Bush. The conspiracy theories, uh, concerned Diebold voting machines in Ohio and the challenging Senator was Democrat Barbara Boxer of California. Um, now, Mike, uh, your piece suggested that big philanthropy did not respond in the same way to those sometimes outlandish concerns about election integrity, uh, the same way it has now responded to uh, sometimes outlandish concerns about election integrity. Now that the winner is, of course, Democrat Joe Biden, the outlandish conspiracy theories concern Dominion voting machines in Georgia, and the challenging senators are Republicans like Josh Hawley. Yeah, so the piece actually recalls uh, two post-election, uh, quote-unquote, blue-ribbon commissions. You right, the other, one the other one was in 2000, which a Republican also won. <laughs> right, closer election, but there, you know, there was a yeah. dispute afterwards about what happened. And uh, these, both of these commissions in 2000 and 2004, really post-2000, post-2004, yeah. were good, serious efforts in which trusted people were involved yeah, to with very, with investigate. Very, with very serious people. They were, you know, the Democrat honorary chair both times was Jimmy Carter in... 2000 in post 2000 the republican was former president jerry ford post 2004 jerry ford was older so it was former secretary of state jim baker um i'm pretty sure kay coles james now head of the heritage foundation was on the post 2004 one i think that's right yes 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 uh anyway so the the post 2000 one uh was funded by i'm gonna say pillars of the philanthropic establishment in america they were the uh, david and lucille packard William and Flora Hewlett and John S. and James L. Knight Foundations. Uh, yeah, three big, then, three big liberal, liberal then as liberal now, major institutional foundations. Yeah, with heft in the area, and by the way, in the minds, I think, of uh, those sort of outside the area, outside of the philanthropic area. Mm -hmm. The post-2004 one was funded by uh, the Carnegie Corporation, the Ford uh, and Knight Foundations, and the Omidyar Network. So... You know, the piece just asked, and I must say I prepared it before what happened last week. Yeah. I don't know that that matters. We published it anyway because the point... The point, the, point, the point still holds regardless of, of what happened. I mean, I just, could something like this ever happen again? <laughs> uh, and, you know, all right, 
maybe, maybe not, probably not, is what uh, I start to answer my own question, I guess, or imply that that would be my answer. Uh, if not, why not? Right. It's, it's, it's uh, that. Could it? Could they, you know, is it a question of nobody would participate or is it a question of big philanthropy wouldn't even want to? Exactly. Those are all questions. It'd be hard to people such a commission uh, with with members who'd be trusted. You know, yeah, blue with, ribbons have faded. They're right. now cyan. Uh, right. Like, and, who, who would the serious people on both sides who, all, even if you disagreed, you would say, these people are looking at this. I mean, and when you're talking about election integrity, you know, I, I, I draw the analogy to a sports referee. You know, we, we ex- you know, even when sports referees get it wrong, we ex- we expect that they're getting it wrong from be you know from being human and the limitations of human perception, not that you know they were secretly paid off by our you know by the other by the other team. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so could you have an election integrity commission with people who were interested in election administration for its own sake, election administration for the sake of getting it right and getting a trustworthy outcome, rather than just well, if we do X, Y, Z, my team will win. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, there's much written, of course, about the divisiveness in America and so forth, and whether someone, whether members of a commission could be recruited uh, to do that is, is one thing, and, and beyond uh, the scope of the giving review, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we wanted to just wonder more specifically, what about the big philanthropic funding of any such effort. Uh, there's more money right, in right. Would they, philanthropy. But would, uh, they be, but would they be interested? Are, are they themselves now, uh, you know, are they themselves now... Distrusted. The, well, are, are they themselves now the Minnesota Vikings? They're, they're just a team. And, <laughs> and, they have a, and they have a part, and they have an allegiance, and they're going to side with the Minnesota Vikings no matter what the Minnesota Vikings do. Right, and exactly. So more money in big philanthropy might mean less. Uh, looked at in that lens. And if so, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? In other words, going back to Bill's original point, uh, the politicization of civil society in the nonprofit sector is something that has consequences and we right, should be right. and, at and, least and, aware of them. Right. And we have, again, these, you know, there, there's still these legal prohibitions on partisan electioneering by, uh, or partial electioneering by, uh, by, Nonprofit, nonprofit charitable organizations. And, but again, it's kind of like everybody, I mean, I don't know of anyone who sincerely believes that they aren't flagrantly violated. You know, what, what can, what can be done about, what can be done about it? What, if you're, if you're a policymaker, if you're a, um, either a policymaker or an observer, like, you know, how, how do we put, I mean, I, I, I say put teeth in the IRS regulations, but put teeth in such a way that it's, again, impartial, that it's not like what happened with Lois Lerner, where the party of institutional government used its position in institutional government to give the third degree to the party opposed to institutional government. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're quite skittish about doing pretty much anything in the wake of that previous scandal. Uh, and then they would imply they don't have a. They would say we need a bigger budget if you're going to be asking us to do that. Uh, and then some would uh, reasonably point out, look, don't ask us to do the FEC's job. 
but okay. So what could be done about it? Just uh, definitely more awareness and scrutiny. That's kind mm-hmm. of easy to say, but it's true because I don't know that there's enough. I don't. Right. It's, really, a, it, it, you know, do, do people even know about this mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of, you know, experts and people who study philanthropy? My suspicion is probably not. And a when, lot of this stuff hasn't been, hasn't been quantified, hasn't been, been put to, uh, you know, ha- hasn't been turned into statistics, hasn't been really mm-hmm. analyzed thoroughly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until when fairly recently. Would, including because of the good work of the, you at the Capital <laughs> and others at the Capital Research Center. Uh, so more awareness and scrutiny, uh, perhaps even scrutiny by uh, government officials, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. the ones who oversee the IRS. Uh, the enforcement of existing law. You, there need not necessarily be new laws, but, you know, maybe. Or, by the way, uh, also solving the problem would perhaps be getting rid of some of these uh, uh, distinctions. But that would mean... Uh, perhaps losing an exemption, in which case that would allow anybody to do anything they want. That's kind right. of and, and, and that's anyway. and that's the and that's the other like the other half. You could say, well, you know, you could either enforce the law, you know, you could either try to enforce the laws as they are on the books, and that way these you know, electioneering options wouldn't be available to anybody. Or you could say, no, 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 we can't enforce them, so we're gonna lift them, and therefore the electioneering option would be available to everybody. At full freight, you'd have to pay for at, it. Yeah, at, at full yeah. freight. So, and not to a small extent, but definite, ex- that's happening anyway, as was pointed out in the Free Beacon, uh, I guess this week, by a colleague right, by, of ours. By our colleague Hayden Ludwig. Uh, that, LLCs are more common. They seem to be uh, more common on the left, but that might be because there's more money on the left. And if you're going to do an LLC, you are foregoing. Uh, the, right, you're, 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 giving away, you're giving away your tax exemption in exchange for not having well, to make as extensive disclosures with the IRS that are publicly inspectable and you get to and you're pretty free to do more or less what you want exactly without other people having to contribute to the tax pot of tax money that some might say subsidizes the uh, uh, whole enterprise so mm-hmm. you know if one wanted to get rid of it all if you wanted to get rid of section 501 that would leave only LLCs uh, which would be to the person who wants to get rid of that, you know, that would be fine, full freight. No, don't force me to pay for your politics or even, by the way, your, your support of an art museum or a school. Uh, right. So there would be costs, but uh, that would be, uh, you know, what would need to be discussed if, if things ever got that far in the discussion. But certainly more awareness and scrutiny. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, because before, before you can even get to the question of what is to be done, you have to know what is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when people in the middle of the country think of charity, they probably picture, oh, I don't know, church, the Red church, Kettle. Church, food bank. Red Cross. Uh, they are not in their mind, I do not think, uh, picturing the email you quoted before where the uh, no. tax-exempt group says, we got somebody elected. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that is our show for this week. Uh, we will see you all next week and encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. Uh, Mike Hartman, thank you for joining us. Uh, Listeners, we'll see you all next week.